What's up, folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are going to recap a wild week two in college football where we saw not one, not two, but three top 25 teams go down. And we're going to get into my favorite segment of the year, Money in the Bag is back. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. So to start the day, we have to start with the biggest game on the schedule for me, probably for you. That is number one, Alabama at Texas on the 40 acres. And yes, Alabama survived this game 20 to 19, but there was so much that went on and the atmosphere was tremendous. I'm still in Austin, Texas, streaming to you live, talking you through this game. First thing that I think we got to take into account is that this is the first game of the season where we got to see the crowd become a factor. 105,000 plus people showed up to this game. That is a record for DKR Memorial Stadium, and it was outstanding from the jump. We got to see number one quarterbacks in high school going at it with each other. And off the top, one of my first questions is looking at this game and how it ended for Alabama and what Bryce Young needed to do to help them secure a victory is wonder allowed Alabama's best team in the country. Now, for me, you know that I made Georgia the number one team in the country according to my ranking last week. And spoilers, that's not looking to change because Alabama looked nothing like a number one team in the country to me, even as they're playing a Texas team that I gave a lot more credit than many other folks did. What was also really interesting for me is how this game changed once again with a Texas quarterback being knocked out of the game against Alabama. You'll know, 2010, January 7th, Colt McCoy gets knocked out of the game against Alabama for the national championship. They're leading 6-0 to the first quarter, and then Bama pours it on, scoring 24 in the second half. So one of my questions here was, what happens to Quinn Ewers when he took that hit, where it looked like he landed on his head, landed on his shoulder, turns out, he has a clavicle sprain, had one of those, broken my clavicle a couple of times. It's really difficult to rotate and throw the ball. So we had to see Hudson Card come into the game after Quinn Ewers was out there absolutely spinning it. 9 of 12 for 134 yards, threw a dime to Xavier Worthy that Xavier could not hold on to that probably goes for six, probably puts this game out of reach for Bama early. And then, of course, we had the missed field goal near the end of the first half that was a gimme. From Burt Auburn ruining an Auburn beats Bama headline for all of us. But one of the things that we learned from Texas is that Quinn Ewers is that dude. You heard me say this for the better part of two years now, especially for you OGs of the show. He is one of six players to achieve a perfect score according to the 247 Sports Composite. 1.000. The last quarterback to get that score also is a Texas legend. Vince Young scored that highly and eventually led the Texas Longhorns to the national championship and the last national championship that Texas has won. I wondered if Quinn Ewers finished this game rather than taking this hit, being knocked out, having to put a Hudson card in there. Does Alabama still win? I don't 
think so. I think Quinn Ewer's ability to throw the ball deep and show touch was on display early, but also when Hudson Carter was in the game, especially when he was healthy, he did not have the same accuracy down the field that we have seen from the dude that comes from South Lake Kara, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, showing out. They really missed that from Quinn Ewers, and Hudson Carter was doing an admirable job coming into the game as a backup to keep Texas in the game and give them a lead. As a matter of fact, when Texas took the lead in this game, it was the first time that Texas had led Alabama since January 7, 2010, when they led Alabama 6-0 to at the end of that first quarter. So what does it mean for quarterbacks in this particular game? As we've seen, again, Colt McCoy going back. Then Bryce Young not playing his best. we got to wait till the fourth quarter to see Bryce Young go over 100 yards passing and really do the Heisman thing, right? For me, I'm watching this game, and Bryce Young does not look good. He didn't look good against Auburn last year. He didn't look good against Texas A&M last year, but still won the Heisman Trophy because when push came to shove, Bryce Young was there to make a play. 20-yard scramble to get them into field goal range where Will Riker could knock it through the uprights to give Alabama the win. But I was thinking about this in the way that Bo Nixit played at Auburn years ago when it seemed like for 59 minutes and 30 seconds, Bo Nix was nowhere to be seen and then came up with his own Houdini act to beat Oregon in that game. I think that this is very similar. We learned a lot about Texas in this game, but we also learned a lot about Alabama. And now we're going to get my favorite version of Alabama, which is Nick Saban being pissed off at the world. Mostly at his players, though, because they committed a record 15 penalties in this game, along with the crowd being involved. You got three offsides from Will Anderson in this game. That is the best defender in all of college football who could not even get lined up correctly against a true freshman offensive tackle. And those offensive uh, offensive linemen at Texas were absolutely playing their behinds off for most of this game, protecting those quarterbacks, giving them throwing lanes. And you saw the speed that they have on the outside for Texas. I thought it was really interesting that Bijan Robinson was even more capable in this game than he was against Louisiana Monroe last year, right? He actually had more all-purpose yards against the number one team in the country than he did against the Warhawks. What I'm telling you is I think Quinn Ewers going out of this game really changed up just how we get to view this Texas team, what they're made of. And also, what are we going to do with Alabama now? Because we got to see Nick Saban do something I've never seen him do. And I would love to hear from you whether or not you've ever seen Nick Saban call two defensive timeouts in one half of football. To say nothing of calling a defensive timeout in one half of football. His teams are usually fundamentally sound on the defensive side, particularly on the back end because he is a defensive back himself. And it looked like if you lined up a tall receiver or tight end on Jaquincy McKinstry, Kool-Aid to his grandmama, he was not going to be happy. I got to see big wide receiver, big tight end after big wide receiver after big tight end go at McKinstry and absolutely moss that man. If he'd had a little bit more touch from Hudson Card, I think you can see some TDs there. Jatavion Sanders showing out once again. That's a guy that I thought could go both ways for Texas. Ends up playing that tight end position, mostly because there is no Jaleel Billingsley playing in this team yet. But when they get Jaleel Billingsley going alongside Jatavion Sanders and Xavier Worthy, go with Bijan Robinson eight yards deep, they're going to be a force. Hopefully Quinn Ewers is okay. We get back to him coming off of this, well, close loss, a loss that I thought was fascinating. Steve Sarkeesian said, we did not lose this game, right? And I'm going, I hear what you're saying because you're a good football team and you got to show that. Do we think less of Alabama? Yes. Should we think more of Texas? Also, 
Yes. I was very impressed with what I saw on the 40 acres. And as a dude that has been the conductor driving that locomotive that says Texas is back, you got to see what I see when we're talking about what this team is capable of. One of my other observations from this game that I think needs to be mentioned is just how much better the defense was for Texas in this game. This is a defense that gave up 450-plus yards of offense last year with Pete Kukowski in year one. Of course, they only win five games in 2021 and have that embarrassing loss to Kansas to finish the season, which means that we were robbed of a, transitive victory, for, uh, a transitive victory for Kansas over number one Alabama, which I would have been very much here for. But signing in Gary Patterson to be a special assistant to the head coach, I think was a genius move for Steve Sarkeesian that you got to see pay off right here in this game. You got to see Gary Patterson get with Pete Kukowski and give him the playbook he used to give these really high-powered offenses fits. As an Oklahoma fan, I can tell you, I was always terrified of Texas Christian because I knew Gary Patterson was going to have his defense ready to go. It was going to be a tight game. They weren't going to beat themselves. And most important, they were going to tackle. You got to see Texas players flying to the football, wrapping guys up around their knees and stacking them on the ground. I didn't see any of that last year. Between the scheme and their ability to run with those wide receivers and to really only get beat up by Jameer Gibbs and the one 80-yard-plus touchdown from Jace McClellan, I'm going to grade them out as a B here. DeMarvion Overshone did a really great job of leading this defense. Very impressed by what they were able to do in keeping their offense in this game, especially in the second half. As you know, the backup quarterback is out there and was out there on a bad plant foot, still trying to make it happen, and nearly did. One play goes the other way for Texas. You're talking about them winning this game. I mean, I was looking at this after we saw the controversial play where it looked to our eyes at first jump, Bryce Young had been sacked for a safety and what would I think have turned the game in Texas's favor. Turns out in this play, not only was he not down, but the roughing the passer and the targeting call were negated and it ended up being an incomplete pass where Alabama had new life and was able to save themselves two points there. You couple that with three points that were guineas and missed from Auburn, and you can see how Texas could have won this game if only they can convert. It's an old adage, but it's one that sticks. You got to score six. You can't just keep scoring field goals against a team like Alabama. Even when they're playing badly, they have these dudes capable of really getting themselves out of these bad situations. You saw it with Bryce Young once again who played bad football until the final series of the day where he turned into Superman, and you understand why he is the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. One of the last things I think that we need to mention in here is just that Will Anderson did not have the kind of impact in this game that I thought he was going to have. I don't know just yet whether I can attribute that to Kyle Flood and Kelvin Banks Jr., who's a true freshman at left tackle, or to Will Anderson, who's just having a bad day in front of a bevy of NFL scouts. But I got to tell you, I'm a little bit worried about Alabama going into the rest of this season. And I think that if you are a Bama fan, you should feel worried too. But my goodness, you got to feel good about coming away with a 20 to 19 win on a day when top 10, top 25 teams are being bodied all day long, which leads me to what I think is our biggest upset of the day. Okay. Also the return of one of my favorite segments, but we'll get started this way. Notre Dame loses to unranked Marshall 26-21 to in South Bend. 
couple of facts here that I think we just need to lay out so everybody's on the same page because this is monumental. Last time Notre Dame started 0-2 was 2011. So that's 11 years ago. Notre Dame also snapped 10 straight wins in home openers, meaning that Marcus Freeman is the first head coach since Charlie Weiss in 2005 to lose his home opener in South Bend. It's just a terrible look for him. Marshall got its first win against a top 10 opponent for the first time since beating Kansas State 27-20 when they were the number 16 in the country in 2003. That's nearly 20 years ago. And 25 years ago, we're talking about Marshall playing FCS football. They haven't been playing top flight football that long, but they are also another wondrous team in the Sun Belt. I love the Sun Belt, a little SEC. We're going to talk a lot about the Sun Belt this year, but particularly tonight. Another fact that I found just fascinating here, Freeman becomes the first Notre Dame coach in history to lose his first three games as head coach of the Fighting Irish. Not something you want to have on your resume. And to put it mildly, Marcus Freeman has a lot of work to do. But as I'm watching this game play out, I notice a couple things. One, Charles Huff, who was running back's coach at Alabama on that 2020 national championship team is on the sideline, right? He's never fluxed, and it seemed like the Thundering Herd had been building toward this game all offseason because that's how they came out to play. Another fact that stuck out to me is Henry Columbia, starting quarterback for Marshall, was run off of Texas Tech. Matt Wells went down to Florida to recruit him to Texas Tech. Matt Wells gets fired. Henry Columbia loses the job to Donovan Smith. Eventually, Tyler Shutt says, I'm going to go where I'm wanted. Ends up in West Virginia playing in Huntington and gets this monumental victory for the Marshall Thundering Herd. Spectacular for them. What does this mean for Notre Dame, though? Bad news, babe. It's bad news bears over at Notre Dame right now. Not only are you starting this season 0-2, you can kiss any idea of getting to the college football playoff goodbye. Now you are in damage mode. You have to try to control what you can control from here on out. I'm going to hear a lot of Mark Streaming saying we're a good football team, but I didn't get to see it. I saw Tyler Buckner look every bit like the new starter that he is. It's a guy that has tremendous talent, tremendous speed, does not know when to slide, and was getting flustered back there by, in, well, let's put it bluntly, a G5 defense. After we thought that they played pretty well against what I think is one of those teams going to play for the national championship in Ohio State. Really got to look at Ohio State now and wonder just how good or bad Notre Dame and Ohio State are based on how Notre Dame followed up this game against Marshall. One of the other things you would need to keep into your mind as you go through Notre Dame is it ain't like the cupboard is full back there. We got to see Drew Pine come in in relief of Tyler Buckner near the end of the game. And what did he do? He threw two gimme interceptions to Marshall Thunder and Herd players that were looking for them. We're talking about dropping back in the zone and just not seeing guys. Really bad look for Notre Dame. But the worst part about this for Notre Dame, it's not just that Marshall beat Notre Dame 26 to 21 in South Bend. It's that Notre Dame paid $1.25 million for the privilege. Notre Dame, you've been had. I said you've been took. I said you've been led astray. Run amok. This is what he does. Notre Dame, I'm telling you, Marshall, put the shimmy in the shag. Notre Dame, put the money in the bag. My goodness gracious. So that means in one calendar year, Marshall has paid Cincinnati and, or excuse me, Notre Dame has played Cincinnati and Marshall 
$2.45 million to hold his L, dog. Hold his L. Look, I love that. I love that Marshall came to play. I hate it for Marcus Freeman. I think now you're playing with house money. Tommy Reese was looking all sorts of sweaty and outstressed out there in the box. They've got a lot to worry about. They've got a lot to fix. Hopefully they get this ready to go before they play USC a little bit later on because I want that game to be meaningful. But shouts to the Thundering Herd for showing up to play and Notre Dame. Fix it and fix it today. From that upset to this upset. Look here, man. As we're getting ready to do this show, I'm going, who else is going to catch an L today? Because we're still talking about games that are being played as you're watching this. I had not expected App State to go down to College Station and absolutely give Texas A&M the business. And mostly defensively, we're talking about a Texas A&M program that not just lost 17-14 at College Station. We're talking about a Texas A&M offense that did not run its third play in Appalachian State territory until we had seven minutes left to play in the fourth quarter. Guys, I was wrong about A&M. They might be actually bad. You, all you got to do is take a look at how they were able to run the ball, or should I say not run the ball, against first Sam Houston State, which is a program in transition, but also a program capable of winning the FCS National Championship, but then against Appalachian State, who got 66 dropped on their skull by North Carolina just last week. I'm talking about having Devin A. Chain and Anaya Smith, who are supposed to be weapons, not rush for 100 yards. I'm talking about Ed Haynes King, who was 10 of 15 for 68 yards into the fourth quarter. I'm saying, if you expected AM to be good like I did, you would expect them to put up 45-50 on Appalachian State. Meanwhile, Appalachian State said, no, no, like Marshall, we too play in the little SEC. And you know what? We play a little ball out there in Boone. And Sean Clark, who's an alumnus of Appalachian State said, no, we were prepared for this game. And I thought this was interesting in that we have a lot of people online saying, hey, nobody should schedule Appalachian State. And you know what? If your athletic director schedules Appalachian State, maybe you should think about quitting that job. That is how far Appalachian State has come from upsetting Michigan in 2007 to now. Man, that's a giant killer. You have to know that that is David with his slingshot and he does not miss often. You were absolutely getting a game when you scheduled the Mountaineers, and I was excited to see them get this win on the road. What I got to believe is now the biggest win in school history. Talking about a number 16 that I thought was really good, that was supposed to compete with Bama for the SEC West and still might based on what we saw from Texas and Alabama earlier today. But it's another one of those instances where we get to do my favorite part of the show is not just that Texas A&M lost 17-14 to Appalachian State. It's that Ampersand U paid $1.5 million for the privilege. I'm telling you, A&M, you've been had. I said you've been took. I said you've been bamboozled, led astray, run amok. This is what he does. Appalachian State put the shimmy in the shag. Ampersand you put the money in the bag. We know y'all got it. Everybody know you got it. Yeah, you ain't got to lie about it. Just give them their money, hold that L, and go back to Jimbo and say, hey, 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 we selling out a lot of money to lose the Appalachian State, dog. 
It's not going to happen like this for much longer. But what else are you going to do if you're A&M except try to back that man to the wall and hope you have something to show by the time you get to your SEC schedule? But with a loss like this one, all you have to run the table, get to the conference championship and win it. Because I don't think anything else is going to be good enough for an A&M fan base that expected to compete for the national championship this year. Woo. Tough scene in College Station. Tough scene all over the map here, but we also had a couple of ranked matchups where I just looked at a couple teams and said, hey, we're going to have a couple teams that are good. One's going to catch an L, one's going to catch a W, and we're going to move from there. One of those instances earlier today wrapped up right before we started this show. Number 24, uh, Tennessee, excuse me, knocked off number 17, Pitt. I thought highly of Tennessee. I had them ranked in my preseason top 25. You tried to get after me about that. Then Tennessee went up to Pitt and told them to hold this L. Now, it took overtime, and it took Cedric Tillman and Brew McCoy absolutely having outstanding games. It also took knocking out Keaton Slovis and having my man Patty trying to do whatever he can to keep them in this game as Pitt was able to run the ball. But if you can't pass it, you're going to have a hard time, especially against a Tennessee team that is great when they have the football, that has him and Hooker back there making plays. I thought it was really great that Josh Heupel went with the first play from overtime and said, hey, Hendon, you want to go on a draw? He said, I would like to go on a draw. And then you go get your TD. You put this game away. I think that Pittsburgh is still a good team. I think that Tennessee is a great team. I think that Tennessee has an opportunity this year to shock us all because Alabama looks suspect. Maybe they get it figured out. Maybe they get put together. But I'm looking forward to that game the third weekend in October because I think the Volunteers are on to something here. Now, for Pitt, are you good enough to beat Clemson? Are you good enough to beat North Carolina State? Those are the questions that I have for you. If Slovis is okay, we'll see about this. But I don't know that you can do this without being able to throw the ball around. Though, against West Virginia and against Tennessee, you have demonstrated an identity. We can run the ball and we can play defense. You're going to have to throw the ball on better teams, especially ranked opponents like Tennessee, to get that win. But I think it's important to point out King Slovis had 195 yards passing, one TD and INT. Hooker had 78 yards on the ground and a TD. I think he went for over 280 passing in this game. Outstanding day for him. Brew McCoy, a five-star player from modern day who has had a rough road going from USC to Tennessee, but also demonstrated his athleticism. This is a man that, when catching passes, was great. But on third and longs, pass rushdowns, he used to be a pass rusher at modern day. He was recruited to Alabama to play linebacker and said, no, 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 I'm playing wide receiver. That's ridiculous when you talk about the level of athleticism you have to have to be able to rush and play outstanding wide receiver. So you got two guys, I think, on the outside that Josh Heupel can make great use of with a veteran signal caller, fringe Heisman candidate in Hendon Hooker. Another upset in our 230 window. My goodness. Washington State knocks off number 19, Wisconsin, 17 to 14. Now, those of you who've been paying attention to the show understand that your man's has been all in on Wazoo. I like me some Jake Dickert. I really like me some Cam Ward, and I love me some Eric Morris. I also love the fact that Cam Ward looked at this opportunity to show what he's capable of and took it. This man that went for over 4,000 yards passing at Incarnate Word when Eric Morris was head coach. Jake Dicker gets the job at Wazoo. He says, Eric, I need you to be my offensive coordinator. He says, cool, can I bring my quarterback with me? He said, absolutely. So you got the dynamic duo up there. They come through Pac-12 Media Day. I get to meet both Cam Ward, 
Jake Digger, but more importantly, Cam Ward's parents who were in L.A. to watch him go through that experience. I love knowing that his parents are around. He gets to lean on them. Fantastic young man who got an opportunity to show what he's capable of against a top 20 Wisconsin team. Now, for Wisconsin, you can't lose to Washington State expect us to pick you to win the Big Ten West because we don't think that highly of Washington State, which is to say you throw them in the Big Ten West, do I expect them to win the Big Ten West? Probably not. But they are a good football team. They're going to be tough for everybody they play, and they're going to win more games than they lose in 2022. You don't want Washington State on your schedule any more than you want Appalachian State on your schedule right now is what I'm trying to tell you. That is a team with outstanding identity. They're coming off of a big win last year. Were they able to get that win in the Apple Cup? I'm inclined to be about the Cougs in 2022. Last thing I wanted to mention as we go out here, Iowa State upsets, num- uh, no, I say ranked Iowa in mine, no longer ranked in mine, but also no longer ranked or ever ranked in the Associated Press 10 to 7. First offensive touchdown for Iowa of the season came in this game, but it was all over the map. Lots of punts, lots of fumbles, lots of interceptions. A real Iowa affair. But shout out to the Cyclones who got a win in this rivalry for the first time in years. Matt Campbell finally gets a W against Iowa and Kirk Ferentz. They're probably going to be pretty tough in the Big 12 as well. Now Iowa's really going to have to figure out what that offense can do and what it can't do. Because Brian Ferentz can't keep doing this vanilla stuff with Spencer Petras and expecting to win football games that way by leaning on a defense that I believe can be top five and one of the best in the entire country. But you got to have an offense to match. I don't know that you can win the Big Ten West either, showing this sort of putrid offense. I was willing to let it go last week because I'm going, cool. South Dakota State, that's a top three FCS opponent. They also like to run the ball, grind the clock. That was a bad matchup for you, and I thought it was going to be a money in the bad game for them. They win that 7-3. to three. But when you get into Big Ten conference schedule, especially when you got what looks like it could be a good Michigan team come October 1st, you're going to have to score points. And if you can't score points offensively, it's going to be damn hard for you to beat anybody anywhere at any time. That includes Michigan, and today that included Iowa State. That's just outstanding for Iowa State. I'm glad to see Matt Campbell has this thing rolling. I asked him earlier this year as we were at Big 12 Media Days, how does it feel to win seven games and let people down? And my man slightly, shyly, you're welcome. Because we understand what Iowa State football was before Matt Campbell got there. And he's got it on par with Iowa football, which is no small feat. One more game I want to pay attention to just really quick. Arkansas State, Ohio State. It's not that Ohio State ended up beating down Arkansas State. It's that they did it without Jackson Smith and Jigba and Julian Fleming. The reason I point that out is because Ryan Day did something similar last year when Ohio State played Akron. They set C.J. Stroud after a really physical game, played against Minnesota, gave Kyle McCord the start, and used that as basically a bye week for him to get healthy. Day had set all week long, not going to play Jackson Smith and Jigba or Julian Fleming until they're 100% healthy. If there's any risk of them getting injured, we're just not going to do it. He hopes to have them back next week. I wish I could see more coaches at Power 5 levels use load management in their guaranteed games. But now you risk putting money in the bag if you ain't got it together, as you could see with Marshall and you could see with Appalachian State knocking off number six Texas A&M and number eight Notre Dame in the same day. A lot of games that we're still going to discuss tomorrow on the number one college football show where we'll go through my top 25, the AP's top 25, talk through Kentucky and Florida, which is phenomenal, talk through BYU and Baylor, which is phenomenal, a little bit about USC, Stanford, 
a little bit about whether or not Michigan can cover a 52-point spread against Hawaii with J.J. McCarthy coming in for his first start of his career. And how do you evaluate a quarterback when he is supposed to beat the other team by 52 points? Lots to discuss. I'm excited to talk with you about it. Back at the home studio here in Austin, had a great time. Going to show you some really cool stuff I got to do while we're down here. In the meantime, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is John Marcus. That is John Hill on the camera in front of me. Social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our lead speeding is Rachel Conan. I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all tomorrow. Deuces. <laughs>